The Start On Demand. On demand. How long could you go without a paycheck? Air traffic controllers in Canada sent some pizza to some of their American counterparts who are working right now and not getting paid because of the government shutdown. Personally, if the paycheck suddenly stopped, I'd be done. A musician is helping Manitobans rip up their suicide notes. Then he gets tattoos of their names. He's doing a show in Winnipeg this week. We'll hear his inspiring story. The Ukrainian Labor Temple wants its stolen plaque back. Is Snoop Dogg getting ready for a career as a hockey play-by-play announcer? And I got some help from my pet monster to post an ad for my apartment. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Monday, January 14th podcast for The Start. What's happening with the American air traffic controllers and the pizza? Well, the pizza is the good news out of this, and that's where Mm. we're going to get to in a moment. The bad news is that we're talking a lot this morning about what you would do if paychecks stopped coming in. How long could you or your family last before you needed to go out and find a part-time job or an odd job or babysitting or what have you? That's something more than 800,000 Americans are grappling with as they try to outlast what is now the longest government shutdown in that country's history. And while finding part-time work might be an option for some there, many, like air traffic controllers, don't have that choice because they're considered an essential service, meaning they still have to go to work even though they're not getting paid. So over the weekend, their Canadian counterparts, including some air traffic controllers here in Winnipeg, stepped in to help. Global's Nationals Ross Lord reports. Air traffic controller is considered by some the most stressful job in the world helping airplanes navigate the skies with scores of lives at stake at all hours of the day. Quebec 4-0, Medivac, you further cleared out of controlled airspace via the approach into Bonaventure. The bathroom's called Tundras 3037. When Canadian controllers learned their American counterparts were working without pay because of the partial U.S. government shutdown, they decided they had to do something, arriving at cross-border comfort food. Out of the blue on Thursday evening, some air traffic controllers in the Edmonton Area Control Centre sent some pizzas to the controllers in Anchorage. Suddenly, it's an extra-large campaign with many slices. Air traffic controllers in Vancouver, Edmonton, Toronto and many other Canadian cities purchasing pizza for their American counterparts, sending ZAW to places like Seattle, Anchorage, Alaska, Salt Lake City and Utah, Cleveland, even Boston. The pizza boxes are really starting to pile up. Right now, we've sent uh, pizzas to 40 uh, U.S. facilities, and that number continues to climb by the hour. They're among 24,000 employees with the Federal Aviation Administration whose positions are considered essential. Overall, 420,000 Americans are stuck working for nothing. As their union sues the Trump administration, controllers are grateful to their Canadian colleagues. I personally have gotten messages from people who are working and living in the U.S., who are asking me, where can I get a loan? What sort of financial advice can you give me? You know, I have a baby on the way. I have a mortgage that's due tomorrow. I don't have money in my checking account. What should I do? The donations come not from the union, but mostly from the pockets of union members. To send 10,000, 10,000, altimeter 3023. A small gesture that helps ease a big problem. Ross Lord, Global News. Halifax. Apparently the Winnipeg, the Winnipeg crew sent, I think, 16 pizzas to the folks in Minneapolis. But of course, as you heard Ross say, there was all sorts of cities in the States 
Like it's a small gesture, but that would have been meaningful, I think, for that meal for sure. Well, you know, and it costs you money to go to work yep. every day, right? Gas at the very least, maybe parking. Who knows what the situation might be? And uh, it's nice to have lunch when you're working too. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to go down and buy it in the cafeteria, but even just to bring it is probably stressful for these folks. And I know there are Canadian government workers yelling at the radio every time this story comes on about the American uh, government workers who aren't getting paid right now that are still going through this fiasco with the Phoenix payroll mm-hmm. oh boy, uh, yeah. bon- boondoggle. So uh, it's not just in the United States where... Government workers are, are getting the shaft in terms of their pay. It's just a little bit more blatant in, in the U.S. right now. I had someone say the other day, well, aren't they get, they'll get back pay when they get back to work. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, how many months or weeks of uh, room do you have in your bank account to wait for that checks to start rolling? Like that's I mean, we, you just said, Brett, in the last hour, right? Like you get to the bottom of your account really quickly. Not you, like everybody does, right? Oh, but I'm, I'm there. I'm already beyond it. I'm in overdraft. We yeah. get paid tomorrow, but uh, I am in overdraft. So if I were to, if the paychecks were to not come in, then it would be all the way into the, the end of my overdraft and then visa. And then, uh, God forbid, I'd have to take a loan out uh, from the bank of Smash Gordon, i.e., Dad, can you help me? A majority of Canadians could not survive uh, more than missing missing more than two paychecks without being in dire financial straits and a lot of those who would be in dire financial straits after two weeks or two paychecks rather couldn't afford to miss one paycheck question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by mr furnace don't call them first you'll see why call mr furnace at 204-832-6243 how long could you last if your paychecks suddenly stopped coming just looking at the results so far, 33% say one to three months. Another 33% say I'd be cooked. 20% say three to six months. And 13% say a couple of weeks. You can log on at cjob.com and cast your vote. Why is that our question of the day, Loren McNabb? Well, we've been talking a lot about this U.S. government shutdown. Now the longest shutdown in uh, American history. And it's put a lot of people there, 800,000 people without a paycheck. Some of them still have to go to work because they're considered essential services. Those like Eric traffic controllers. And so it got us wondering that question that we've been posing to listeners, but also what is the reality out there? How many of us really do have enough money in our bank account to skip even one pay period? And to explain more on what we're talking about and and how bad it might be for some. We're joined by the Canadian Payroll Association President Peter Tanakis. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. So we do these polls every year. Sometimes they're better, sometimes they're worse, but is it almost a majority of Canadians that would struggle if they were to go even one pay period without their check? Well, we do an annual uh, survey of about 5,000 Canadians, and we've been doing it for about a decade now. And uh, what we found in our most recent survey, which we released uh, last fall, is that uh, 44% of working Canadians uh, live paycheck to paycheck and would find it really difficult to meet uh, their uh, financial obligations uh, if their paycheck was even delayed just for a single week. That's an amazing thing to consider. Seven days is the buffer zone for 44% of people. Yeah, and, and the other thing, too, that we uh, discovered in our survey was that uh, one in five Canadians um, could not even come up with just $2,000 uh, within a month for an emergency expense like a repair or or uh, something that um, they weren't anticipating. And, and so in addition to them living paycheck to paycheck, they're also not saving to have a sort of a bit of a rainy day fund as well. 
when you talk about how people wouldn't be able to come up with that money. So does does that include things like overdraft protection or credit cards? Like people just wouldn't have any access to additional funds in a pinch? Yeah, that's uh, definitely the case. Now, there is also uh, those Canadians that uh, uh, are able to uh, dip into um, credit. And the other important aspect of our survey was that you know, um, debt has been increasing significantly over the years, and about 40% of Canadians feel overwhelmed by debt. So, you know, it's it's a it's a difficult situation for most Canadians. They're living paycheck to paycheck, and in addition, they're incurring more debt to come up with some of those uh, financial obligations. What are we talking about then when we say, okay, I'm in the situation, I feel like I get to the end of my pay period and I need that check in the next day, like I might only have a few hours kind of thing left to go for so many Canadians. What should I be trying to save for? I mean, what advice can you give us when when so many feel like they're barely scraping by? Well, our advice to Canadians uh, is that uh, you need to pay yourself first. You need to take a, a small portion of your paycheck uh, on a regular basis and put it aside towards either paying down your debt or even uh, saving and also participating in, in your uh, your own company's uh, savings plans or, or, or go out and, and get a financial advisor or, or through one of your financial institutions to put aside a little bit every paycheck. So pay yourself first. Take advantage of the um, of the uh, workplace uh, opportunities to save for retirement or for a rainy day because that's the only way you're going to kind of get ahead over the long run. Peter, there will be a lot of people saying, "Oh, these 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 people are going to get their money back or they're going to get back pay," but that that doesn't really help at the present time if you having enough money in the account to cover the mortgage or the rent or other obligations. Well, this is the problem, and and the situation certainly uh, in in the United States where you know they're not getting paid is uh, is um, is unfortunate because again I would suspect that the situation with Americans is very similar to that of Canadians that a significant proportion of uh, Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. As it turns out, I came across a recent study that said almost three quarters of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, which is significantly higher than than what we've seen in our surveys uh, for Canadians. So I can imagine it's very difficult just uh, making ends meet on a weekly basis. Peter Zanatakis is president of the Canadian Payroll Association, joining us live this morning on 680 CJOB. Peter, thank you very much for the access. My pleasure. So Friday, I went to Marishev. I had to get my oil changed because uh, I was way overdue. It was, we got to the point where my, every time I turn on my car, it said, change oil soon. Change, Please change oil soon. Change your oil now. What are you doing? You know, getting these... <laughs> Cars threatening you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next time, I will not start. <laughs> so I finally took it in on Friday. And I was sitting in the lobby waiting. And then I went to pay when it was done. And as I'm walking back through the garage towards the lobby, one of the service advisors named James, he just sort of shouts, he starts chirping me. He says, hey, did you get any parked cars in the lot? And I just kind of stopped and and looked at him and said, what? It was just an oil change, man. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, oh, I heard your story about Jackie, and it was hilarious. For those who missed it last week, I told the story of how when I worked at Taco Bell, parked my car, and when I backed the car out of the lot, I hit... Jackie Anderson's car. Jackie, of course, is Hal's wife. 
And Hal, by the way, has been posting updates on his Twitter about his recovery from his surgery, if you want to follow him there. But uh, so I hit her car, and then I drove away, panicked, and then I came back and went through the drive-thru and said, Jackie, I hit your car. Uh, And anyway, so that was embarrassing. So then James proceeds to tell me a story. Uh, He's like, oh, that reminded me of the story that happened to me when I was 18. I I don't know how old he is. I want to say mid-20s, late-20s. And he says he, when he was 18, he goes to the Boston Pizza on Portage just a couple of blocks east of Moray. And there's a shopper's drug mart also in that parking lot. And he said when he parked his car in the winter, uh, he said it described it as like an apex. There was like a, he parked on a slight incline and it was a standard automobile. So he pulls the car in, parks it, pulls the e-brake, gets out, starts walking away. Just like a couple minutes after he gets out, he hears this loud bang! behind him, and he turns around, it's his car, which had slid down the incline. Oh, no. Into another car. Oh, boy. So he, he, like me, he panicked, didn't know what to do. He went into the shopper's drug mart to see if they could page somebody, the owner of the car that he hit. They tried, but nothing happened, so he didn't know what else to do, so he just drove away. (laughs) I guess he didn't leave a note, didn't know. He was a young guy, panicked. Mm -hmm. Few weeks later, gets a knock on the door. It's the cops. Oh boy! So of course the panic level then goes through the roof. Sure. Did they ask him for a breathalyzer? <laughs> <laughs> Too soon, Greg. Too oh, soon. Oh, sorry, sorry. So he said that he says, "I, I, I swear to God, I, it wasn't a hit and run. I just, I didn't know what to do." And the cops said, "No, no, it's okay. Trust me, this, this kind of stuff happens all the time." Unfortunately for James, he ended up having to take a mand. Even though he wasn't in the car when it happened, he had to take a mandatory MPI course on. Defensive driving or something like that. Yeah. So he, but that got me thinking of an icy road adventure at Grapes Pier 7. Which is on Pemina? It's now Pony Corral Pier 7. That's that's on on Pemina. Pemina. Yeah. Yeah. Just a few blocks shy of uh, Bishop Grandin. Uh huh. And if you park behind, there's a steep incline right into the river, right? Yeah. So you know what? We'll tell that story in a moment. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Kelly Moore is here, Jeff Forte, and in case you're just tuning in, I just told a story about how when I was at Murray Chev on Friday, one of the service advisors, James, told me a story from a few years ago when he parked his car on an icy day outside the Boston Pizza on Portage Avenue near Moray, and he put the car, he pulled the e-brake, it's a standard car, got out, walked away, and then he hears a loud bang! His car slid down the slight incline in the parking lot, it was so icy, and it hit another car. So that got us thinking about our icy adventures. And I referenced a story from uh, Grapes Pier 7. We'll get to that in a moment. But Greg, I've been curious to know, you said immediately when I texted you this on Friday, you said, I got a story. Yeah, it doesn't involve ice, but it does involve an incline. And I don't know what I was thinking. I have a 1972 MGB convertible. This goes way back to the 1980s. And I was having a hard trouble with the starter. Well, with these cars, light enough, you can push them a little bit. And Kelly, what would I do? little jump start, right? Yeah, exactly. So I was over here at Polo Park at Chi Chi's. Couldn't really, couldn't get the, couldn't get the car going. So I thought it'd be a really good idea to push the car all the way over here behind Polo Park where the loading dock is. Okay, yeah. And get a little bit of a run there down the, even though there's a, you know, brick wall at the base of that. <laughs> like 20 feet at the base. Yeah, yeah. I thought that would be a really good idea. Not a lot of runway. <laughs> there, there, there was no collision. There was no damage done. But 
it was pretty hard pushing it back up the ramp oh, when it didn't work. It so, didn't work. No, it didn't work. That's the best part about it. Just a total <laughs> fail. Oh, man. I thought you were going to say you ran over Timu Solani or Alexi Shamba no, or something no, like that. Yeah. There were no uh, fatalities or injuries involved, but it was just a dumb, dumb how did, move. How did you stop it from hitting the wall? Just breaks. I jumped in and you I, jumped. Thought, oh, I thought it was going to go, I thought it was going to go, and... It didn't go. Were you playing that Drake song? Wasn't that the Drake song that everybody got out of the car and did a dance next to? It was 1989. Oh, right. Fair enough. I forgot the year. I was thinking last year, Greg. There was Def Leppard on. (laughs) Was it the Karate Kid? Where they had to, they always had yes. to push yes. the car to get yes. the right. pop started. Yeah. Needs a little pop. Correct. That's right. Anyway, I finally got it going, but yeah, it was just stupid on my. It's part. funny though, because we're like the flattest city on the planet too. So I was when you sent the email saying we got incline stories, I was like, what are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird. But whenever I visit, uh, say we had family in New Brunswick or friends in Calgary or whatever, and these people that like live on streets that are on hills. I, the first thing I think is like, what do they do in the winter? Don't all the cars just slide to the bottom? How and, do you park do on the street? And they do in some cases, they yeah. yeah. That's, That's why they have snow emergencies in those parts of the world. We laugh at them, but it's because of the terrain and the hills, right, Cal? You've you've been in different parts of the U.S. during snowstorms, and you're going, oh, this ain't nothing until you get out on the roads and you go, oh. That's exactly. why they shut things down. Yeah, no, traveling a lot, especially on the Coquihalla Highway uh, in BC when I was doing play-by-play in Kamloops. I mean, there were some horrific conditions that you would have to travel through. And and you'd wonder why people were even out there. You know, in a, in a bus, believe it or not, it's probably as safe a vehicle as you can be on in the wintertime because of the, uh, uh, the weight and that type of thing. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> This wasn't on ice, and it wasn't even in North America, but my great incline story, my wife and I were in Portugal, uh, would have been probably about five years ago, six years ago. Anyway, we're waiting to, we're going, where we were staying, uh, we were waiting to uh, take a van about an hour to the airport to fly home. So we're picking up people at different hotels along the way, and in Albufeira, we were staying, it's all very uh, uh, steep inclines. So anyway, the uh, driver of the van is getting out to load the luggage from the passengers from the other hotel. All of a sudden, my wife and I realize we're starting, and these are narrow streets. Oh, God. <laughs> there's nobody at the wheel? There's Well, the, the driver was standing at the side of the <gasps> van, and all of a sudden, we realize we're going, and at the end of this this hill, there's a, a brick wall, basically. Oh, my word. So I'm reaching over to try to grab whatever I can. The driver... Uh, she hopped back in, but she got scraped along the building. So she, the moral of the story, she managed to stop this thing. So I said, you stay right where you are. I'll load the luggage in. Good Lord. This That's is a true scary. story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, because I was trying to figure out what do I do because these, I'm not familiar with these European vehicles. So they're, the emergency brake wasn't where I thought Did it should be. Did you know the word no. for brake in Portuguese either? Like, just brake, brake. Like, I don't even know. Yeah, everybody just sat down, had a siesta. You're going brake, McNabb, you said you had a story. Well, it was again, it wasn't an incline, but I was 16 and I had just received my license. I got it late in the year. And so that spring, my brother called from school and said, I have a hockey practice. Mom and dad are at home. Can you bring my hockey equipment to the rink? And so I come down Main Street and I'm going too fast because I'm like not too, like it's not over the speed limit, but just too fast for the conditions. And I kind of slip on this ice as I'm turning into the road the rink's on. And then 
recover and everything's fine. And I think, whew, I got lucky there. So I put the car in park because it's minus 30 still out. It's freezing. And I pull the hockey equipment out of the trunk. I carry it into the rink. I yell, Rob, your equipment's here. I'm just setting it down. Like I shout down the stairs. And then I hear this like, and I run outside and my car has somehow slipped into reverse and is (laughs) gunning it backwards, does like a full 360, (laughs) smashes into the referee's room at the rink, like halfway in. Nobody, thank God, is in that room getting dressed. And I'm just standing there. You wrecked the Minidosa arena? And this man comes out, and he's a good friend of our family, Doug, and he looks at me, he looks at the rink, and he's like, I cannot wait until your dad gets here. Oh, my God. Like, what happened? And then, of course, I get hauled into a cop car. It's a small town. And everyone's like, oh, my God, the McNabb girl's in the cop car. You know, like, just crazy. And my dad took the car to the shop because I was like, Dad, I swear to you, I put it in park. So he was on my side, convinced that something manually had couldn't find anything wrong with the car. <laughs> so the conclusion was I probably didn't have it in park. But oh, like the luck, the luck to not have killed somebody in a busy rink. And then, of course, he made me pay for the damage. So even when you tell the story, you're very emphatic. Oh. I put the car in park. I was sure. Of, and even to this day, I'm like, no, I just, it seems unlikely. Like I was out of that car for a full minute. McNabb, you're you were in your usual hurricane oh, state. Oh my god! I was, but I was out of the car, Kelly, for such a long time that it makes no sense that in that. Yeah, how would you got the hockey? I got bag the, out of the hockey trunk? equipment out of the. That's what I'm saying. I yeah, called the equipment out. Yeah. I walked into the rink. So then, of course, like for years, the, like the vice principal of the school and everybody called me Crash McNabb. <laughs> it's still the thing that like you're the one that hit the rink, right? Yes. Text message two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight from Melissa says my first car was a Mustang. Which had winter tires, Kelly. And, <laughs> and I got stuck going over the Disraeli in rush hour. A kind gentleman had to get out of his car and push me. You can share your stories, 204-780-6868. You never shared yours. Ah, we'll get After to all that. Yeah. No, no, don't be sorry. Your story's way better. It's, there wasn't much to it. Grapes Pier 7, as Greg referenced. Steep incline on the back. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't get out. Every time I hit the gas, the car would actually go in. It would back up. Right. And so we're sliding. It's standard, right? No, it was, an auto, oh. it was automatic. But and I just, the river's behind you. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> the car. The Pontiac Cease Meal is sliding Cease back me. towards the, the, the river. And there's cars like inches away. So my buddy says, put it in first because it, it had first gear that I could slide it into. And we'll just roll out of here. And that's what we did. We just crawled up, up the ice. <laughs> but yeah, that was scary. I was so glad to not live in a hilly terrain, as Jeff referenced. Last spring, as the Jets marched towards their first ever appearance in the NHL's Western Conference Final, there were rumors flying around town that one of the biggest names in rap music was going to make an appearance at one of the outdoor street parties. Snoop Dogg, who has somehow found his way into the mainstream, was dressed in an NHL jersey and sent out this message of congratulations to a certain Jets goal scorer. Shout out to Patrick Lyonet and the Winnipeg Jets making the playoffs. Y'all know who I am. It's the one and only Dog Cherry, a.k.a. 99 plus 2. The great one. Hey, man, I heard I was in the playoffs, too. Is that true? Get your pucks and your sticks ready. Well, as you likely know by now, Snoop uh, visit to Winnipeg did not materialize. But over this past weekend, Snoop did hip-hop his way onto a Fox TV broadcast of the L.A. Kings, and the results were priceless. 
fellas. Hey. Welcome. Hey, Welcome man. to LA King Tom. Hey, thank you all for having me, man. Here we go. Give me that. Here we go. Somebody turn it around. Push it, push it. Run the weave. Run the weave. Come on now. Oh, oh watch oh. out. Oh, he stole on him. He's fine on Cubs. Hold on now. Oh, get it cracking then. Let's go. Snoop Dogg in the house. Let me see some. Drop the sticks, man. Let's get cracking, man. To the middle of the rink. Let's go. Number three wanted. I like that. Who is number three for us? Dion Phaneuf. Dion, go get cracking, Dion. Yeah, him. go get him, Dion. Get him, Dion. Move, Dion. Get out the way. Go get him. Here we go, go get him. Still, still jarring with him. A little chirping. Okay, right, right. I like that. So when they do get into a confrontation like that, the referee has the the, the sole control power to say y'all not gonna fight, right? Mm. They can tell you that. You don't have to listen. Well, they listen right there. Yeah, yeah. See the big boys get in, the linesmen. Those guys have the toughest job. Okay, all right, all right. So that was just mushing going on. It was more mushing than yeah, fighting. Yeah. Face wash. Okay, all right, wash. all right, all right, all right. Those gloves are stinky. That's why I love this sport, awful. man. That's why I love this, because you got to be a 100% man to play this, man. Hey, was that Doty? Oh, yeah. Doty, Doty, Doty. That's my dog. Find it. You got the ball. Oh, come on, nephew. Good stuff. Good looking Good out. Stuff. I see y'all sports center tonight. You All got right. it, man. Uh, so I love. I, it makes me think that I could even do play by play if if you, you were allowed to be like, who's number three again? You know, like <laughs> I just kind of have sort of a clue. Like I love it. So there's one more clip here, Greg. Yeah, if I may. Yesterday's part of our big day of skating and hockey. Took the final day of uh, took in the final day of the history of hockey exhibit at the Manitoba Museum, and one of the displays included an opportunity to do some play-by-play of great moments in hockey history. My son Alexander stepped up to the microphone during part of the Stanley Cup clinching game for the Canadiens in 1986 versus the Calgary Flames. Well, place the puck along the boards. Bullet trying to keep it in. A shot. Loose puck in front. Oh, Patrick Wise got it. <laughs> Well done. Bob Irving's not shaking in his boots <laughs> quite yet, but listen not too to bad. his enthusiasm. That not was bad. really good. Good job, buddy. So, who are we talking to now, Greg? Well, Rob Nash. Uh, he has a powerful message that he's been spreading across the country, and we wanted to catch up with the the. I don't know, Rob. Do you, do you ever become a former Manitoban? I always feel as though if you're born in Manitoba, you're always a Manitoban. What's your philosophy on that? Oh yeah, you can't escape it, even if you wanted to. <laughs> well, that's well, that's good. We wouldn't want you to. Thanks for taking some time for uh, sharing some some stories about the award-winning Rob Nash project and and what you've been doing across our great country. Great to catch up with you again. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. So, tell us about some of these. Uh, tattoos that adorn your body they've got a powerful message they come from people who have reached out to you in the worst possible time in their life yeah i never thought i'd be doing interviews about a tattoo but um yeah you know a few years ago i was in a bad car accident and i made it through when everyone thought i wouldn't and even though i made it through physically i got i went through a dark time about two years where i didn't want to be alive and had a lot of dark thoughts and you know i made it through that time i I wondered how many other people like me were out there going through those same thoughts, not talking about it. So I decided to, I wanted to tell my story to as many people as I can so people would know they're not alone. And I started playing music with that goal in mind. Had a few hits on the radio, but ripped up our record deal a few years ago to do almost like a Johnny Cash tour through prisons and youth detention centers, telling my story. And I ended up writing songs together with some of the people we met on that tour, songs about addiction and suicide. 
had over eight, so we started performing those songs in you know, rough communities and schools going through stuff. And we had over 800 students that handed us suicide notes after these shows. And last, uh, yeah, two years ago, I took the signatures off of those suicide notes and I tattooed them on my arm just to show those kids that, uh, and they meant a lot to me and, and to tell the story and make sure people knew that there were, there are kids out there that made it through that darkness, but not every story about mental illness ends with suicide. And now uh, it, the tour's kept going. It's been growing, and now I'm covering the other arm with more tattoos, more signatures, because the uh, the issue isn't going away, but neither are the breakthroughs. So, Rob, you had a recording contract, which you said you ripped up to embark on this journey. Did you have people in your life who said, what are you doing, man? Oh, got a lot of that. Everyone thought I was crazy because, you know, everyone says we're supposed to chase success. And uh, I always say there's success only feels so good. It's only going to fulfill you so much. And I think we're all supposed to move on from success to significance. So this tour feels significant. It's fulfilling. And it's grown so much that now we're not even going to schools anymore. There was such a demand. So many schools asking us to come that we just couldn't get to all the schools. Now we're doing shows at like this. Uh, day after tomorrow with the Burt, we're doing shows. We've done multiple shows there already this year where we bus in like schools from all over the place. We bring them in and we can perform for multiple schools at a time. And we have a curriculum for the students when they leave. So now it's really cool because these students aren't just handing the suicide notes over to us after the shows, but through the curriculum, they're working together with their counselors and handing it to them. So now we know that these kids are all going to make sure to get the follow-up help that they need after we leave. What does that tell you, Rob, about just that, I guess, how similar so many people's experiences might be in the sense that they might feel that darkness that you described? And to know that there's that many students, part of me might think, oh my gosh, there's that many kids out there that are feeling that way. But then on the other hand, that must help them so much to know that they're just not in that moment alone. Yeah, there's something really simple but amazing about that. And I, what I couldn't believe is that the kids were, were handing me notes that, that they had on them. And I, and I spoke to some police in Toronto when we were doing a conference about suicide. And they told us, yeah, when we come on the scene of a suicide, very rarely is the note freshly written. People usually write their note and they carry it with them in their purse or their pocket. And they wait for somebody to push them over the edge or for somebody to reach out and say it's going to be okay. And so... When that became our focus, we realized that we thought, well, if there's a thousand kids sitting in front of us every day, I mean, somebody sitting here, if the stats show one in five teenagers in Canada have seriously considered suicide in the last 12 months, and that's the stat, we just started speaking. I know someone here is thinking about it, and sure enough, show after show, people walked up and handed us their notes, and that was, I think, the most chilling thing, to know that these notes were in the pockets of these kids, and now, as you see these signatures on my arm, or you read these suicide notes and what they're saying, and it almost always starts with, Mom, Dad, if you're reading this, I'm no longer here. And just reading those words just sends chills down your spine as you're realizing this would have been the most devastating thing for any parent to ever read. Rob, what do you think it is about you sharing your story that allows kids to open up and to say, huh? I've been carrying this around and, and to hand it over. Is it just as simple as you sharing your story and them understanding that there's somebody else out there with the same feelings as, as they have? Yeah, that's a part of it. You know, I, um, we spend the time through the show, you know, we, 
we tell stories, we show some videos of parents, you know, talking about when the moment when they found their son. So we show that we hit them with some tragedy. But I think the reason people respond to us is because we balance the stories with stories of victory. Like we we pull up kids that we've met, you know, on this tour that once handed us their suicide notes and they're now working with us. We show footage as we perform songs about, you know, young girls we once met in prison. Um, kids who were once laying down on train tracks and now we show them performing. We show that, look, if you're having those thoughts, you think you're cursed because, you know, you're not sure what to do with all this emotion. You know, you're going through a tough day and you can't wipe it off and keep going. You don't know, you feel there's something wrong with you and you might be sick and need to get some help, but you still have something to offer this world. And I always share the fact that, you know, I've had to be at way too many funerals uh, both singing and speaking, and I've never met a parent that loses their kid to suicide, to addiction, that says it's a good thing our daughter's gone because she had nothing to offer this world. It's always the opposite. She was so gifted. How did she not see it? And it's hard to really sum up our show, but that's a big part of it, is letting these people know, like, we're not losing useless kids here. I think we're losing some of the most brilliant, most gifted people. We just have to help them show that they're gifted, help them feel it. The people around them can believe it all day. They have to embrace it themselves, and that's, I think, the biggest breakthrough that we see. Rob, you mentioned you got a show tomorrow night. Was it at the Burt? Yeah, the day after tomorrow, it's at the Burt. I'd love to say it's open to public, but it's packed out already. We're busing, and we pay for the theater, we pay for the school buses, everything. But there'll be schools coming in um, literally from all over Manitoba for this show. Quickly, before we let you go, amazing work that you're doing to get those students involved. You're getting those tattoos on your left arm this morning at 1130 a.m. How many names are going on? About, I got long arms, about 120 names fit on each arm. So, All right, Rob Nash, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time. We appreciate what you're doing for the world, sir. Thank you. Thank you, guys. More on the Ukrainian situation, the Ukrainian labor temple posting online that the building's plaque was stolen from outside its building. Yeah, gigantic plaque. So bizarre. Yeah, it was placed there in commemoration uh, for the Ukrainian labor temple's uh, designation as a national historic site. And this uh, building has an incredible amount of uh, uh, significance in my family and a lot of families here in Winnipeg. And uh, just a few moments ago... Uh, Lorraine and I spoke with Emily Halderson. She's vice president, Winnipeg branch of the Association of the United Ukrainian Canadians. And she explains a little bit first, in case you don't know, the building's on Pritchard. Is that Pritchard right? Pritchard and McGregor, that's right. And, it, and the significance of it goes back well over a century. So the organization was started by uh, newcomers to Canada way back in 1918. Uh, it was an organization that was started primarily by Ukrainian workers so it was very, we were we have been and and still to some extent are involved in in workers rights uh movements and uh with women's rights movement and other kind of social justice issues but we also have a cultural component as well um you know to celebrate ukrainian uh history and culture it's quite a large plaque um i, I would guess it's kind of maybe two and a half or three feet wide and maybe two feet tall uh, it also stood on a big stand, which which still remains there. And it talks about uh, the hall as a gathering place. And there was also a printing press and many newspapers that uh, that came out of our our building that were printed there. 
So I think the plaque also discusses that uh, as well. Was there something significant in the metals it was made of? I mean, you mentioned it was two and a half to three feet tall. So what would be the worth or value to someone to steal it, but then the effort they would have had to go through? Oh, yes. I'm sure it was incredibly heavy. Um, obviously, I never lifted it up myself, but uh, it was it was a big, <laughs> heavy piece of metal. So, uh, you know, I really don't know. Um, there are, you know, some guesses from members of our organization around just simply someone taking this for the metal itself. Uh, obviously, there would be no way to resell or do something with the plaque in its current state because it's so easily identifiable, um, you know, says where it, where it came from. So that wouldn't be possible. But uh, I think perhaps maybe someone, you know, is looking for things that they can melt down and, and sell. And, you know, we really are, are proud of our community. I think there's a lot of amazing um you know, uh, organizations in our community and people are wonderful, but people do have, you know, some people do have some problems and, and things like that. So I'm not sure maybe, you know, looking for some, some money for, for to fund some of those activities. Well, tell us about what the reaction has been like, Emily, in terms of the, of the community that, that utilizes the, the labor temple that uses the hall. Yeah, it was it was definitely a, a funny coincidence because it happened to be on Ukrainian New Year's Eve, uh, Malanka, which was uh, Saturday. So uh, the, the dance group was organizing that event, our senior dance group, the Unis Dance Ensemble. And they came in first thing in the morning at 10 a.m. and discovered that the plaque was missing. Um, so we had the event coming up that evening. So, you know, there was a lot of people that came to the hall on Saturday and, of course, People were, you know, sad to see that this had happened. Um, also, I should mention, too, that I was I found out via uh, another Facebook post that there was another plaque that was uh, stolen a couple of days prior from another location in the north end. So uh, this would lead me to believe that perhaps there's, you know, this this someone out there looking for uh, seeking out these specific kinds of metals, perhaps, or something. Emily Halderson, thank you for taking time with us this morning to outline this uh, this story that uh, obviously nobody wants to have to tell, but you, you did a great job sharing it with us. We appreciate it, and uh, hopefully there'll be some uh, happy resolution. Maybe someone will come to their senses and turn this plaque in, realizing that if they try to take it to a metal recycler or something like that, there may be a solid citizen there that recognizes the plaque and says, hey, Hold on. Uh, we think we know where this came from. Mm-hmm. My last comment will just be that if they would like to do that, we will take it back. No questions asked. Um, they, there is a Facebook post which has my phone number, so they don't have to call the building. They can just call me. Um, or, you know, maybe they can just put it outside, leaning up against the door, whatever. Just, um, you know, we'll accept it. We're, we're not uh, willing to um, get anyone, wanting to get anyone in trouble here, and, and we would just take it back. An incredible building in the heart of the North End, Pritchard and McGregor, the Ukrainian Labor Temple. Uh, this is a real shame. Uh, got a text message here from someone who said, yeah, somebody probably wants the bronze along with uh, some of the bronze people have been harvesting from different uh, handles mm-hmm. on, on doors around the downtown, older buildings used 
real and historically used real or genuine materials. So uh, this is uh, unfortunately becoming more commonplace. If you want to read more about it or what she suggested, maybe uh, if you want, if you have it, it's still not melted down. Uh, you can head to our website, globalnews.ca, and there's a story there about that theft. The show is almost done. I haven't even mentioned this yet. Mm. Yesterday, I spent the afternoon staging my apartment. Right. For a move. And I employed the service. See, this is one of the benefits of being a hoarder like me. <laughs> or a sentimental hoarder, not a full hoarder. A justification I alert. you can make. This is the benefit of being a yeah, hoarder. Yeah, yeah. But continue. I like yeah, it. I like I, where this is going. And we're, I, we're good at this in our house, too, with spending money, justifying yeah. the, the, the cause and, and how this is, this is all going to be just fine and actually a really good idea. So continue, Brett. When I was a kid, I had a, a uh, well, I, I guess you could call it a toy, stuffed animal, whatever. My Pet Monster. Now, for those who grew up in the 80s, you'll remember My Pet Pon- my pet Monster. It's this big blue guy with a huge green nose and big teeth and, like, pink hair. And he's got, like, these orange chains around his wrist, which he can break because he's angry. Well, I hung on to this thing. It, it's it's big. Like, it, it, it takes up a lot of room. But Is it, like, about two and a half, three feet tall? Yeah, yeah. He's a big guy. So I hung on to it, and I found a way to employ his services. He helped me stage the apartment. And if you go to Kijiji and look for the ad, My Pet Monster <laughs> wants you to rent this You're gonna one bedroom apartment. You're going to get a bill for this. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> this one-bedroom apartment on Corridon, you'll see that. You'll see pictures of My Pet Monster playing Super Nintendo as Bowser in Super Mario Kart because he had to go as the monster. Well, of course. You can see him trying to help me out do the dishes. I caught him uh, while he was reading a magazine in the commode. Oof. Yeah, so uh, he helped me out. And if you so, if you want to see pictures of this, you want to see the ad, you can follow me on Twitter at Brett McGarry or on Instagram at Brett McGarry, where I also uh, put some uh, images of him in my story where he was. Uh, gave me a stink eye after I told him to turn the taps off. Isn't that what, what they're always doing? That thing looks like it's always given the side eye, like just staring at you with sh- to shame you. Yeah. yeah. Well, how, how old are we talking? Is this thing 30 years old? Yeah, I've had it since the mid-1980s. But we've washed it since the mid-1980s? Mm. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's, that's gross. You're a kindred oh, spirit no. with one of our listeners. This never surprises me. We don't usually have to wait too long for someone to, to speak up. Chris just sent us a picture of, I'm going to, I don't know if it's his or her. I'm thinking Chris, K-R-I-S is a her, but I apologize if it's not, of uh of their pet monster. Look who I found in my unpacking. It belonged to Tim, but also reminds me of you as you were a fan. Aw. Message out to Miles on Chris Cardell's Instagram page. Right on. And indeed, just like that one. And I actually have another one. It's a, this, the, I have a, a smaller one. It's an orange one. It's kind of like a, like a hand puppet sort of deal. I forgot about uh, that one. I should have pulled that one out as well. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to see the ad, see the pictures, I had some fun staging that yesterday. Just follow me on Twitter at Brett McGarry or Instagram at Brett McGarry. And, of course, while you're there, make sure you follow WPG. And McNabb on Twitter, it's McNabb on Global. On Instagram, it's McNabb on CJOB. Got some great pictures from yesterday out down on the river, skating on the Red River Mutual uh, River Trail, all the way from the Forks out to the legislature and back. Did you do the whole thing? 
Uh, well, well, no, that's as far as we went. Like was to, to the, the ledge. ledge and back. Yeah, yeah but pretty, you, can go, you, can go, you can go further yeah. than that. Yeah. How far does it go now? I'm not exactly sure. I apologize. I don't have that information available I feel like it goes to to at least to the Osborne Bridge on the yes. Assiniboine. Uh, yeah, and it looks then, like it goes past that. Yeah, and then, of course, down the red. I mean, depending on how far they've been able to go due to weather, they can get into St. Vital some years. Like, it just sort of, you know, again, weather permitting. Yeah, no, it was uh, really great to get down on the river, so I got some pictures of that. And those warming huts, the bison that's inspired by Minecraft, you can actually climb up inside of it. Mm -hmm. Really? It's spectacular. Neat. And then they've got this one cube that's uh, got uh, mirrors on the outside and glass. It's super warm inside. Even the boys yesterday were like, Dad, remember some of the warming huts weren't exactly warm? This one is warm. And uh, so they make uh, a great get, point. The good those kids are smart. I've often thought that you climb in and you're like, this is really cool and everything. But I am as cold <laughs> in here, sometimes colder because the wind will whip through some of those. You know, if it's at the right angle, and you're like, I love the concept. Absolutely, but, but it's a cooling hut. No question about it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing those pictures and uh, all the everyone's getting their skates out. I really need to to do this as well. Although I'm curious, but also not looking forward to the the foot pain that apparently comes with strapping on ice skates for the first time in three decades. Yeah, well, mine I've been on my skates a couple times in the last 12 months, and I can tell you my feet were still sore yesterday. So, Oh, good. Yeah, so 30 years and times, but yeah, you're going to have it. <laughs> Foot pain is in the forecast for Brett McGarry. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.